G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you on a Saturday morning, hope your weekend's kicked off the right way. There's a couple of footy games already in the books for round 15, some of which I'm going to talk about. Obviously I previewed the entire slate of round 15 action on Wednesday's pod. J-Lo is still in the queue to come back next Wednesday, so no need to fret Sportsby fans, but the NBA drafts in the books as well. I was busy uh, celebrating last night. A couple of Fantas got in the way of me recording my Friday evening podcast. I was busy celebrating uh, a successful draft for the Cavs in my eyes. So I'm going to unpack everything that happened in the 2022 NBA draft. The winners, the losers, the lack of trades and more question marks for the New York Knicks. Of course, it wouldn't be a Sportsby pod if I didn't record a little bit of stuff to do with AFL fantasy as well. So I'll touch on my trades that I made, a couple of other popular players and uh, those people that can uh, rejoice that Luke Jackson is able to fantasy football without Max gone on the side. So once again, rip a podcast in line. Let's do it. Item number one on the agenda. I want to unpack Cleveland's draft. For those that don't know, I am a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, a team that is on the rise. So I was a little bit precarious rolling into the draft. I didn't want to see them try and do something stupid, flick a couple of players around. If they were going to trade out of the pick, I wanted a 3 and D type player. And instead, they kept the pick and they did something very un-Cleveland. They drafted the guy that I wanted them to. They drafted Ochai Abaji out of Kansas. He... One most uh, outstanding player honours in the most recent NCAA tournament. Kind of a three and D bloke who the three is somewhat questionable, but I think that he obviously scored in big bunches as Kansas went on to win the college chip. And it was really exciting to see Cleveland get that type of bloke. There was a couple of other guys who they had their hearts set on, apparently, as I trawled through mock drafts around the internet. But it wasn't really the Ochi Abaji pick that got me up and about was what they did later in the second round. They drafted Khalifa Giop, who is right up there with the sickest name in the draft. He's a pretty raw big man, so I don't think we can expect too much from him. But they drafted Evan Mobley's brother, Isaiah, who was no scrub at USC at college. And it's just cool to see the Mobley brothers reunited, if you ask me. I don't expect him, again, to be a solid contributor in his rookie year. He may develop into something, but It's just cool that the Mobley boys are back together, if you ask me. And arguably the coolest pick of the entire draft from a a Perth standpoint or from a West Australian standpoint is Wildcat Luke Travers landing at the Cavaliers. Now, I've been, I've bashed him at times, uh, not necessarily on the podcast, but watching Wildcats games. He is still pretty raw. He's not very quick. His handles are questionable, but he offers some upside and I'm still just cool to see him end up on an NBA roster. And the fact that he's ended up on an NBA roster for the team that I support makes it a pretty cool pick in my eyes as well. Now the Cleveland Cavaliers, most of their rosters are going to be intact rolling into next season. I think they got nine or 10 guys before these rookies already committed on the books. We've got one more year of Kevin Love, another year of Karis LeVert. Maybe Cleveland will go down the route of, buying out K-Love or trading him if there's another contender that really wants him to contribute. But he's definitely boosted his stock back up with a strong showing last season. So if he hangs around in Cleveland, I won't be mad. I've still got a soft spot for K-Love and love what he's bringing to the table. The big question mark that now hangs over the rest of their off season is what to do with Colin Sexton. He's a restricted free agent. 
someone's probably going to come and throw a bit of cash at him. He's probably going to attract 20 plus million, but he was injured last year. So that might help Cleveland when it comes to negotiating. Personally, I don't know if it's the best idea long-term to keep him on the roster. His clunky fit in that backcourt with Darius Garland isn't great for defense and he does need the ball in his hands to do a lot. I think the big part of the reason Cleveland had success throughout the 2021-2022 season was because the ball was zipping around and there was a lot of guys involved in the offense. Darius Garland was really setting the table as a floor general. And Colin seems like a bit of a ball stopper. So I don't know if the long-term fit is smart. But that being said, I don't have too many issues with paying him not a bag, but, you know, a small handbag, if that makes sense. If they can get him on an affordable contract, maybe something in the realms of four years for 70 mil, something in the 60s, I'll be pretty chuffed because then at least you've got the asset and you can potentially flick him down the line if they wanted to package Kevin Love and Sexton and a couple of things to swing for the fences and bring in another established star because let's be honest, no one's coming to Cleveland in free agency. It's not a terrible idea. So Cavs roster is pretty much intact. And after a strong draft, I'm very excited to see what uh, type of team that they construct and put on the court next season. Second tidbit, I want to talk about the footy round so far. So Thursday night, we saw the Melbourne Demons flex their muscle. They did a very similar, it was kind of eerie vibes to what happened in the grand final. Brisbane got a lead early. And then just like that, Melbourne flipped the switch kicked about six or seven goals in a row and just put the dog, uh, put the lines to the sword and were able to run away with four points. I think in the process, they kind of abolished any concerns that people had about them as the best team in the AFL. I know that I've been raising the question has to be done. They'd lost three in a row going into this game, but no Max gone paved the way for Luke Jackson to have the best game of his career. I'll talk more about him from a fantasy standpoint in a bit. And I think that the D's, like I said, are the best team in the league. And I think Daylight is second. I still have them as easily the premiership favorites as most uh, betting markets do as well. I don't think it's a huge red flag that the Lions got pants the way that they did, but they would have wanted to leave the game with a little bit more or showing a bit more resolve, not getting thrashed. And Melbourne kind of turned it into a party in the last quarter. Brisbane kicked a couple of late consolation goals to soften the margin, but yeah, I think that it says more about Melbourne's success rather than the ineptitude of the Lions. I still think that they're a team that could make it all the way to the grand final, but everyone else might just be making up the numbers. Obviously, the Western Bulldogs, last year's runners-up, they played on Friday night against Hawthorne. Not a ton came out of this game. We saw that Jack McRae chalked up 30 disposals for the 100th time in his career. And I said it while I was on the couch last night, he may go down as the best accumulator to ever play the game. When he's all said and done, I won't be surprised if he has the most disposals ever. He still hasn't played his 200th game. That's coming up next week for what it's worth. But Jack McRae was doing his thing and the dogs were able to overcome a slow start to get the win against Hawthorne. Desperately needed that win. Their defense is still pretty shit though. They conceded seven goals in the last quarter to Hawthorne and they could have got a real big percentage boost with a big win. I think there was 40 odd points in the end, but could have been a lot more. They gave up a massive amount of points last week to the Giants and Throughout the season, I've had question marks about their back line and their defense. And I think as they play some tougher teams in the run home and push for a top eight spot, they'll probably get a bit exposed. The third game that's obviously already in the books, we saw West Coast take on the Bombers and kudos to the Eagles. They definitely had to scrap and fight for that win. Granted, it was against 16th on the ladder, but Essendon tested them and West Coast delivered. It's nice to see the Coasters back in the winner's list. They'd lost a club record nine games in a row rolling into this. So 
kudos to the coasters. I now wonder if they can leapfrog the bombers on the ladder. As I've said on for the last week or so, I won't be shocked if it does happen. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are saying they need to tank and get the number one pick rather than try and win a couple more games. I'd much rather see them get pick number three and keep fighting. At least I think they interviewed Luke Shuey after the game and he said it's the first win he's played in since late last year. So you can't really tank too much in the AFL without the residual effects. Just ask North Melbourne. And I think from a West Coast standpoint, I want to see them keep trying to get four points each weekend rather than worry about their draft position. So three games in the books, six still to go for what should be a fantastic weekend of footy. All right, let's rewind and dive back into the NBA draft. Third item on the agenda, I want to talk about the winners on draft night. I think one of the big winners was Paolo Banquero, who surprised everyone when Orlando called his name first. We all thought that Jabari Smith Jr. was going to be in that slot. And personally, I think that that's a smarter route to go down for Orlando. I think you can debate to the cows come home who is the best prospect in this class. And we'll know five to 10 years from now who should have probably gone number one. But looking from what the blokes have produced in their collegiate seasons and what they offered, I don't hate the idea of going for Paolo Banquero. Drafting Jabari Smith Jr. also would have made sense for the Magic. They needed a scoring punch and he slipped down to number three at Houston. But Benquero having his name called first overall makes him a big winner. The second bloke that was drafted, Chet Holmgren, landing in OKC makes him another winner. He's been pretty, not vocal, but it's been pretty obvious that he wanted to go to the Thunder. So he got his wish and he'll now form a very interesting young nucleus with the likes of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, uh, Darius Baisley. There's a lot of young pieces on that roster that could see OKC trend in an upwards direction. And I think the time to aim up is now. They've got, I don't know, 15 draft picks or first round picks in future drafts up their sleeves. So I won't be shocked if they continue to swing for the fences on the trade market and try and get another established stud in that rotation. But I like what OKC is building. But if you ask me, the big winners of the draft were the Detroit Pistons. They were able to land Jaden Ivey at number five and he looms as a perfect backcourt running mate with Cade Cunningham. The better move that they made, in my opinion, was then doing another trade to get Jalen Duran, a center prospect who is going to be much cheaper than DeAndre Ayton. There's been a lot of rumors recently linking the Pistons and DeAndre Ayton together. But from a Detroit standpoint, I think they've got their backcourt of the future. They can obviously play Cunningham and Ivy on or off the ball. And both of those guys seem pretty cerebral. And I think that they're going to be a, a bit of a dynamic duo, if you ask me. So getting... Ivy, arguably the best guard prospect. And from what a lot of people view, the second or third, if not first best prospect overall in the draft with a fifth pick makes them the big winners if you uh, dive into it. The Spurs were probably the last team that I was happy with their efforts. There were a lot of other teams that kind of treaded water and didn't really stand out. But San Antonio got Jeremy Sohan with pick nine, who I think is a questionable type of character. I don't know exactly what type of player he's going to develop into. Bill Simmons and some of the other ringer crew were saying he reminds them of or could develop into Sean Marion 2.0, which I don't hate the comp, but I think that he's a very smart player and landing in San Antonio should see him develop the right way and become a decent contributor on a winning basketball team. And then they rounded things out by drafting a couple of other shooting guards, Malachi Branham, Braham, Branham, I think it's Branham with a 20th pick from Ohio State. 
I think that he might actually be better than Sohan, if you ask me. And he looms as another potential piece who can contribute to winning. And then Blake Wesley, who they took with the 25th pick, he's another guy that should help continue that young San Antonio nucleus to trend in an upwards direction. All right, item number four, let's talk about the teams and the franchises that copped an L on draft night, starting with the Sacramento Kings. Stop me if you've heard this before, but obviously Jaden Ivey was a real coveted player and most mock drafts had Sacramento taking him at fourth overall. For what it's worth, I don't hate the guy that they drafted at number four, Keegan Murray. He is, he's a scoring forward. He is a six, eight guy who kind of plays a bit of power forward. They've got Sabonis now in that front court. And they've obviously kept De'Aaron Fox. So that group could kind of develop into something. They should be in the play-in game mix, but they probably could have traded out of the spot and got Keegan Murray at a later pick. They obviously, Detroit were fielding calls once they drafted Ivy with number five. So if Sacramento were smart, they probably could have flipped the fourth pick, gained some extra assets, maybe even for Indiana or San Antonio, New Orleans, there would have been a team in the top 10 that would have wanted to move up to number four. And they probably could have fished another first round pick or another player out of them. And as a result, they probably could have got Keegan Murray later with that pick eight, pick nine, something in the mix. So not exactly genius moves by the Sacramento Kings, which is strange. I'm not used to the Sacramento Kings struggling on draft night. Similar could be said for the New York Knicks, who I thought hit a home run when I'd heard that they drafted Osman Jeng and then traded him. Then they were going to get Jalen Duran. Then he ended up in Detroit. Then I was very confused with what was going on at all. So in the end, they traded out a couple of pieces and a couple of picks pretty much out of the entire 2022 draft to get three future firsts that are all heavily protected. And the reason they did that, they managed to offload Kemba Walker in the process, but apparently they're planning at making a run at Jalen Brunson. Now, Jalen Brunson's a good player. He showed throughout the playoffs that he can be a difference maker when it matters most, but do you think he's ever going to make an all-star team? Probably not. I know that his father, Rick Brunson, has been hired as an assistant coach. I think it's an assistant coach, maybe an advisor for the Knicks. So clearly they've got their eyes set on Brunson and paying him 25 to 30 million a year, I don't think is the smartest free agency move. But hey, the New York Knicks are going to New York Knicks. <laughs> Watch this space. I'm sorry, Knicks fans. I didn't love what you did on draft night and even clearing cap space to potentially pursue Brunson. It's not a move that I can really get behind. All right, very quickly, fifth topic. I want to talk about a couple of the trades or non-trades from draft night. I know it's a draft-heavy podcast, but the NBA draft only happens once a year. Arguably one of my favorite days on the sports calendar. So we thought that John Collins might have been moved. He was the biggest name potentially in the rumor mill. We didn't hear a lot of buzz going into the draft about the Utah Stars. So we may still see one of them flicked, but a draft that promised a lot of potential, a lot of trades ended up with the Knicks making a couple of moves and Jeremy Grant moving before the draft. And then one other trade that I'll talk about in a bit. So it was a bit of a lackluster trading draft. If you ask me addressing that Jeremy Grant trade, it's a solid get for the, uh, for Detroit to flick him and Portland to land him. I don't think he's going to be a huge difference maker in Portland, but he thrived in Detroit after he was freed from the Denver nuggets. And I think, if you ask me, we'll go back to seeing Jeremy Grant probably in a similar, uh, p- putting a similar output to what he did with the Nuggets, something in the high teens point-wise. Really good defender, don't get me wrong. He, he's a good get for what uh, the Portland Trailblazers gave up, but I don't think he's going to move the needle a shitload. So pretty underwhelming move. The other player move that we saw on draft night was De'Anthony Melton being traded from Memphis 
to the Sixers. Danny Green went the other way. Danny Green might not stay with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. Watch this space. But I think landing De'Anthony Melton is actually a low-key smart get for Philly. They've got a couple of other young, intriguing pieces. Matisse Thibel is someone whose name was heavily in the rumor mill as the draft approached. We may see them swing and try and get a third star to pair with Harden and Joel Embiid. So Matisse might be on the way out. But I think Melton, who's only 24, which surprised me. I thought he was way older, but he's a really strong player. He can definitely be someone that's in your playoff rotation. We saw him do that for Memphis and throughout the year when Jar was missing time and Tyus Jones was running the show. Melton really did step up and sometimes he played as a bit of a lead uh, point guard, for lack of a better term. But his defensive metrics and his defensive uh, output is probably really what I covet and what I think that he can bring to a winning team. So... Again, a bit of an underwhelming trade from an NBA draft perspective, but now we get to focus a bit on free agency, which I'll unpack in future podcasts because free agency doesn't start for another five or so days, but there are some big names out there and where they land could dictate what the championship market looks like heading into season 2023. Okie dokie, last thing, number six, you've waited this long. I'm proud of your sports by fans. Let's talk fantasy footy. So Everyone that traded in Luke Jackson on Friday night, Thursday night, rather. Bravo. Well done. Didn't see 125 points coming. I thought he was going to score somewhere in the 80s, but the bloke had a career high in tackles. It was a fantastic trade in. And I think if Max Gorn's missing, he'll be the most traded in player next week. Now, I, I'm at a crossroads. I might bring him in next week, but I ended up trading in Sean Darcy to replace Braden Pruce. Part of it was because I'm a Dockers fan and my season is in fucking shambles. So I just wanted to have a bit of fun. And I'm hoping that after I stop recording this in a couple of hours, I can go and watch him towel up Tom DeConing and the rest of the Blues and score 100 for me. But then I was able to use a lot of the other cash that I had to turn Zach Butters into Rory Laird. So I had to obviously get rid of two of those guys. I've still got Alex Witherden and Dane Zorko in my side as well, who are currently sitting at D7 and D8, which means that I'm fielding Jacob Ware, and Massimo D'Ambrosio. So D'Ambrosio actually went okay. Scored a 52 for me, which, you know, he's a rookie. I'm not going to expect too much, but I'm just glad to see that Alex Witherden didn't come onto the field as the medical sub. If he had have rolled in, I would have been fucking spewing, but he still hasn't lost too much value. He's sitting now at the high 700s. I may be able to downgrade someone like Tom DeConing and flick Alex Witherden up to Doherty. Maybe I'll go for a Tommy Stewart if he's kind of flatlined in value. But my trades are a bit all over the shop. I'm fielding four rookies this week because of the injury issues. Hopefully, though, things go according to plan and I can move a couple of magnets. I'll only have one rookie on the field by the end of round 15. A lot of other people will be looking to trade in someone like Paddy Parnell. I think he's the best rookie target this week. Obviously, his break-evens negative 15 off the dome. He's in the high 200s, so this is probably the last week if you want to try and trade him in. He'll be a bit more inflated next week, which I can't really get behind trading in a guy who's 300K plus. And like I've mentioned, D'Ambrosio is a fine target for the people that brought him in. But there's a lot of defensive rookies bobbing up and not too many across the other line. So hopefully in the coming weeks, we can see guys who've been biding their time at State League get a gig. I think Jai Cully... Still seems like he's a couple of weeks away, especially now that West Coast have all their midfielders back. Elijah Hollands, I don't know what that bloke's done, but it doesn't seem like he's cracking the rotation any soon, anytime soon. Tyler Sonzi is another draftee out of Richmond. The Tigers seem like they're going to be trending in the right direction. And I think if you're listening to this later on Saturday after the Richmond game, I won't be surprised if uh, they defeat Geelong. 
And even if they don't, I think that they're going to show that they aren't just making up the numbers in the top eight and they're probably still a genuine premiership threat might be a stretch, but they're still a team that can make some noise come September. So hopefully we get a couple of rookies filtering through. And if not, Hey, unless you've still got 22 green dots, right? Cause at the moment, as I'm looking up and down the roster and looking at my bench, it's going to be a long home stretch for the large fries and Coke. That's it. Another Saturday morning podcast in the books. Thanks for tuning in. Like I said, we're back with JLo on Wednesday. I've got a Monday podcast lined up as well. I'll probably talk a bit more NBA free agency stuff because there's an article that I'm working on talking about the best landing spots for the biggest names before free agency hits. Obviously, my rookie piece will be out next Wednesday as well, unpacking all the trade targets on the Dream Team Talk site for the traders, boys. And I'm going to go now and enjoy what should be another ripper weekend of footy. So thanks for listening to this Sportsby pod. Make sure that you subscribe for future episodes. Catch you next time.